I'm very open about the, you know, entrepreneurial journey not being as glamorous as everyone says it is on Instagram. Just because I started my company, I don't know, I was very under the impression that it was like, you're an entrepreneur, all of a sudden you have a Ferrari and like (laughs) all these nice things. And just from what I saw on social media, you know, that's sort of the vibe that um, people were giving off. And it's super challenging and it's, you know, not lucrative, um, you know, definitely not at the beginning. Hello and welcome to Shiny Objects. I'm Jamie King. And I'm Elise Mason. We're founders who also happen to be cousins and best friends. After over a decade of working together, we're pulling back the curtain and getting raw and real about the messy business of work and the reality and sometimes fantasy of what it's like to be your own boss. Hi, everybody. Hi, Elise. Hey, Jamie. And uh, we have a special guest today. It's not just the two of us. Hi, guys. <laughs> Allie here. Yeah, Allie. Allie Bonner. Um, she is one of the founders of Queen Co., which we'll get more into. And actually, Allie is one of our former interns. And we've been sort of watching from the sidelines as Allie has been on her own entrepreneurial journey. And it's been super impressive. And so we're really excited to welcome her to the show today. Awesome. Hi, guys. Thank you so much for having me. Um, And it's so fun to reconnect. And I'm so excited to just dive into all the fun things. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But before we dive into all the fun things, I, you know, as always, want to share some unimportant, important news with everybody because it's unimportant and important. But as some of you know, I have been swimming again. Um, I always go through, I feel like, these phases where I am like, I'm going to swim again. I love being in the water. And then I stop and then I get out of that flow and then it's hard to like start again. Um, I love swimming, but I do think that it takes sometimes some extra commitment because you have to get wet (laughs) and that means you kind of like need to shower or there's like this extra time that it takes to do it. Um, but you know, since we're all sort of trying to find new rhythms and things, um, I started swimming again and I just told myself, okay, you're going to do this. I bought a swim buoy on Amazon. And then the next day, like it literally arrived. And I was like, here I go. I'm just going to go. Because if I don't just get in the water and start swimming, I'm never going to do it. Um, And just this past weekend, I think two weeks after purchasing my swim buoy, um, I swam my first open water mile, um, a full mile um, in the river. And it was very hard. There are choppy waves. Um, I get water up my nose and sometimes I feel like I'm going to drown. Um, thank you, swim buoy. I did not drown. Um, and I made it. So that's my unimportant, important news, unimportant, important news. I am pumped about it. Um, it feels really nice and yeah, just something new to do. Oh my gosh. We all need some novelty right now. That's awesome. And congratulations on a mile. That's a big deal. It felt like a big deal. My first swim, I should say, like my first open water river swim, like technical, like besides the one triathlon I've done, which I don't count because I didn't know what the F I was doing. But 
my first one, I made it to, I literally thought I had swam. Like I was like, I've definitely done over a mile. Like this was a lot of swimming. And I looked at my watch and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm at 0.4. I'm at four tenths of a mile. So I forced myself. I was like, I'm going to make a half mile out of this. Um, and I made it to six tenths of a mile on my first swim. And I like got out and I was like, I need to lay down in the sand. This was so hard. <laughs> so yeah, the mile felt like a really big deal. <laughs> I love it, Jamie, because my unimportant, important news for today is also related to swimming, um, which makes me feel like we're on the same brain and I'm really excited for the rest of this conversation. We'll just see what else comes out of it. Um, I have been swimming most days, not like exercise swimming, but just like frolicking swimming. And <laughs> Frolicking. <laughs> <laughs> and I recently got myself a new pair of goggles. And I'd had my last pair for, I don't know how long, like they just kind of lived in like the bottom of my purse or my backpack or wherever, like tossed around, beaten up, et cetera. And my new pair of goggles is life-changing. Like I can see so far, they don't get fogged up or like they're not leaking. It's just like the simplest little upgrade, but it made such a huge difference in my pleasure frolicking in the water. So Ugh. I'm really excited to spend more time in the water with my new goggles. Are they like straight up like goggles or did you get like a mask? Tell me more about them. No, they're just like regular goggles. Got them at Target. <laughs> um, <laughs> they're like pretty unremarkable except that they're brand new and not scratched and not leaky. Mm. I got newish goggles also um, actually last summer and they didn't get as much use as I had hoped. Um, and so I've been using those and they are like, you know, Speedo like brand and they hurt. they're sort of pinky looking and I like them a lot. Um, and yes, they're not scratched. So it, it does make a difference. Um, yeah. Having the right gear really helps. Um, it's, it's crazy, but I'm glad you're in the water too. It's so nice to frolic and swim and get wet. Um, even if the hassle of like cleaning yourself after, um, and anybody who is in like Portland area or has any experience, um, with Portland, uh, the Willamette is, not considered like uh, crystal blue, clear waters. Um, in fact, you can't see anything, which is probably a good thing. Um, people often joke like you'll get a sinus infection from swimming in the Willamette. Um, and I'm doing it anyway. I have to sometimes get past the spook factor of being in that river. I like, I have these moments where I imagine like a dead body just floated by me. Um and I, I don't think that one actually has, um, I hope, but you just, you can't see anything. Um, so it, it ends, it, yeah, it, it adds a little spook factor to it. And the goggles are just really there um, because, well, you need them to like, you know, swim effectively. But yeah, whew, sometimes, sometimes it's a weird feeling, but it does make you feel really powerful when you get out. Um, and also like you ab absolutely have to shower, which was the point of the story originally. And then I got stuck on the dead body part. So <laughs> Yeah. It's like, you cannot get out and like not shower. It's not your shower. It's like, it can't be like a summer shower. It's like, no, you get out of the Willamette and then your first priority is like, take a shower and scrub whatever is in that river off of your body. <laughs> you guys are motivating me to get in the water and start swimming. <laughs> yes. I hope you will. I, Allie, do you have anything unimportant, important going on in life? Top of mind, what I just mentioned, I guess before we started recording, was I just got my first IPL laser, which 
if anyone listening knows what that is, <laughs> it was very new to me. Um, basically, I was telling Jamie that my, you know, esthetician um, who typically just does my facials, I'm pretty, I feel like I'm pretty low maintenance on like the self-care sort of beauty uh, routine, but facials are something that, you know, I love and it's sort of a non-negotiable. She started like slowly introing me to this world of just beauty <laughs> that I had no idea even existed. And so ended up buying a $2,000, um, you know, package of like 10 different lasers. And I don't know how I got talked into it. It was a, a moment of weakness, but um, yeah. And so now I'm on, you know, my IPL laser, which is basically just this type of laser that they, it's, it's supposed to help with, you know, dark spots, any scarring. Um, I struggle with pretty bad acne. Um, right after college, I did the whole Accutane thing and all that. And so it's been helping a lot with that scarring, but oh my gosh, I was telling Jamie, it was probably, it was just very, um, I don't know. I guess I just wasn't expecting how painful it was going to be. <laughs> and so, um, I'm still sort of reeling from that right now, but, um, yeah, I just, I don't think I'm cut out for, you know, the beauty is pain sort of a uh, lifestyle that some people tend to lead. <laughs> uh, me either. Um, the thought of a laser is terrifying to me and, um, I have a hard enough time just washing my face in the morning. So, um, which I haven't done yet today, if I'm honest with everybody and it is almost noon. So let's get into it. Um, why we're here talking to Allie. Um, Allie is one of the founders of Queen Co, which makes delicious granola butter. She's also a podcast host. Um, her podcast is called Queen Cast. Um, we'll put that in the show notes for you guys. Um, and the other interesting thing about Allie and Queen Co. is that she works also with her family. It made it for a really perfect fit for us because we totally understand that kind of relationship. And so Allie, tell us a little bit, how did you decide to start Queen Co.? What was the inspiration um, behind granola butter? It's been a wild ride, um, as I'm sure you guys can relate you know, starting anything entrepreneurial, it doesn't always go as planned. Um, But I actually sort of, you know, really stumbled upon this idea for granola butter. So um, I went to Berkeley, you know, obviously, and was studying nutrition there, really involved in um, healthy living and, you know, fitness and and sort of just wellness in general, um, before wellness was even like trendy or cool. Um, But really took it too far. I think, you know, my kind of perfectionistic personality type, um, along with just being away from home and sort of for the first time having just total, you know, control over what I was eating was, um, sort of like a recipe for disaster for me personally. And so just became really obsessed with eating perfectly clean all the time and, and over exercising and all of that, which I, you know, I'm happy to dive into. I'm super open about, um, but really found myself in sort of the throes of, um, what we know now as orthorexia. So that's an obsession with, you know, eating perfectly clean or, you know, what you think is like good or virtuous foods all the time. Um, And I really felt, you know, stressed out or anxious if I didn't eat that way. So it just, it took up a lot of my headspace. And um, interestingly enough, you know, no one really knew on the outside because I pretty much looked, you know, relatively the same in terms of body weight and size, um, which is something I try to dispel a lot on my page just with, you know, disordered eating being a spectrum and really, you know, it doesn't matter what your body looks like. Anyone can really exhibit, um, you know, disordered eating tendencies. And so, yeah, for a long time that really kept me stuck, just, you know, not seeking help and not 
um, no one really knowing either what was going on internally. So long story short, you know, struggled with that throughout college, a couple years out of college, and finally had this moment where I was like, this is not serving me. You know, there is so much more to life than thinking about food all the time and thinking about weight loss and my body and all of that. So, um, you know, started to embark on this journey of self-love and healing my relationship with food and my body. Um, and so in doing that, part of the the process was really just introducing a lot of my fear foods back into my diet. And um, nuts and nut butters were one of those. I was just so terrified of the, you know, calories and how dense they were. Um, for anyone who can't see me, I'm doing air quotes right now. But um, <laughs> and so decided to, you know, add those back in and really my gut health was just, you know, totally, totally ripped up from just years of restricting and binging and basically just treating my body like crap. Um, and so I feel like, you know, it was a combination of my gut health being super poor and then also just sort of going zero to a hundred. So adding, you know, nut butter suddenly on every meal and, um, just really not giving my body a chance to sort of adjust. Um, and so I started feeling, you know, really weighed down and sluggish. And so decided, you know, I would try something nut free, um, in the meantime to see, you know, as I'm healing my gut to see if I can sort of digest that a little bit better. Um, and so that's where the idea of granola butter came in. I really, you know, was looking at the nut-free options on the market and there really wasn't anything out there that resonated with me. It was, you know, seed butter, sunflower seed butter. There was like soy nut butter. Everything just tasted like total trash. Um, sorry for anyone listening that likes those <laughs> those spreads, <laughs> but I was just – they just didn't do it for me. Um, and there was Trader Joe's cookie butter, you know, which tasted phenomenal but just didn't leave me feeling very good because it was like half, you know – processed sugar and carbs. Um, <laughs> so I was like, okay, this is crazy. Like there has to be some sort of middle ground here. Um, and so kind of had this opportunity to really create an oat-based spread. Um, I had seen the success of Oatly and some of these oat milks coming on the scene and, you know, realized as well that a lot of the schools are actually starting to be more and more nut-free. So, you know, um, nut allergies are on the rise. And I think especially in elementary schools, it's just a liability. You know, kids aren't old enough to know not to share with other kids. And so a lot of these schools were starting to really kind of, um, you know, tighten their their restrictions on bringing nuts to school at all. So a lot of these parents were like, you know, even if their kids didn't have an allergy, they were kind of lost as to what to bring. Um, I know I grew up on PB&Js, and so I was talking to a lot of parents that were, yeah, really struggling to find an option for their kids. Um, so that's when I was really, you know, just kind of intrigued. I was like, okay, there's something here, right? But didn't really plan on leaving my full-time job in tech. Um, so Eric, my partner, and I were both working in tech in San Francisco. And, you know, we both loved our jobs. We were getting, you know, pretty comfortable salaries. I love the environment working at a startup. Um, but I also had this sort of, you know, inner knowing that I'm sure every entrepreneur sort of feels where it's just I couldn't not – you know, go for it. And I just, the regret of not doing the thing was just so much more painful than, um, than the fear of doing it. And so, um, decided, you know, worked on it nights and weekends first as a side hustle for about a year. So, you know, launched it in 2018, worked on it until about early 2019. And then this past year really have, you know, worked on it full time. Um, but yeah, back to your question about, you know, working with my family. So Eric is my 
significant other, um, whatever you want to call it, man candy, boyfriend. Um, we've been <laughs> together, you know, since college for about seven years. And um, and he's also my co-founder. So really starting it with him has been, you know, very fascinating, right? Like navigating the romantic to business relationship. Um, and then as you mentioned, yeah, I mean, both of my parents are retired, you know, so they kind of help um, more so just like from the bottom of their hearts, you know, like just wanting to help the business, they kind of just come in and help here and there for a couple hours, but it's not really a, a formal business partnership. Um, but yeah, it's been, it's been very wild and I've learned so much and it's every day is different. Um, and yeah, it's just been really fun and, um, a great learning experience so far. You and Eric have been together since college and then you are now in business together. And so I have to imagine um, that there is, that is both super fun <laughs> and also super hard. Um, I, you know, I've been working with Elise for over a decade. Um, and I think, you know, one thing that's nice is that we're not, we also don't live in the same home. We're, we're, we joke that we're work wives, but we're not actually partners <laughs> in that respect. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So there is some separation. So I have to imagine, um, yeah. How, how do you guys navigate that? How do you, uh, keep, I don't know how else to say it, but business out of the bedroom. It's something I'm not going to pretend like we have it all together. <laughs> um, it's something we're definitely still working on, but I think there have been some learning lessons that, um, yeah, have just come with the territory and and how long we've been, you know, doing it, which is not, you know, terribly long, but a couple years. So, I mean, I think first of all, for anyone who is thinking about maybe working with their partner, you know, really take an objective look at, you know, what is your personality type? What is your working personality type? And then what is theirs? Because, you know, Eric and I are both I like to say we kind of complement each other, but we could not be, you know, more opposite. Um, so I'm definitely a lot more, you know, outgoing, impulsive, um, creative, and sort of like, you know, I would say visionary type founder where he's a lot more methodical, you know, logical. Um, he likes to be a little bit more behind the scenes, introverted. And so just from a business perspective on paper, those things actually are you know, really great um, when it comes to like a business partnership. And so I think pretty immediately, you know, and neither one of us are really confrontational or um, have like a quick temper. I think we're both very, um, like we've never in our seven years of being together have ever gotten in like a yelling fight, which, you know, I don't know if that's healthy or not healthy, but <laughs> um, we definitely, you know, try to talk things out before it escalates to that point. So, because um, I have a lot of friends that, you know, their relationships are very, passionate, right? But like for good and for bad. So it's like they're probably, you know, have an amazing sex life, but then it's like a lot of, you know, like yelling and just kind of energy. Um, Eric and I are a lot more like go with the flow, kind of chill, you know, San Diego vibes. <laughs> and so, yeah, we just kind of immediately, you know, felt like this would be something that could work. But I mean, that's not to say it's been easy by any means. I think like the toughest thing when you're starting a business with your significant other, especially if it's something that you're both really passionate about, which, you know, I feel like you should be um, if you're doing this, but is just, we have a really hard time turning it off. So it's like, yeah, as you mentioned, keeping it out of the bedroom. I mean, we come home and, um, you know, we're still talking about work on the drive home. And then as we're making dinner and we really had to be, you know, be able to just tell each other, um, you know, our boundaries. And there are times where, you know, we're both on the same page about 
you know, certain exciting, you know, things in our business. Like right now we're raising our first round of funding um, and, you know, talking to investors and that whole thing, which has been very eye-opening and we've learned a lot, but it feels like a really exciting sort of growth phase of our business. And so we're talking about it all the time. Um, but that said, you know, there are other times where I remember at the beginning of our business, you know, he would bring up something at like 11 PM at night. We're both in bed watching TV or something and he brings it up and I'm like, now is not the time. Like, and so it's really just, you know, I think we both learned, um, you know, when not to bring things up and when to sort of just read the other person. Um, but also communication and just letting, you know, I think we both have to be really receptive to the other's needs and wants. You know, it doesn't have to be a certain time of day, but if there's any time where I'm like just kind of burned out and checked out and I'm like, I don't want to talk about work right now, then, you know, he has to respect that and vice versa. So um, on the flip side, I would say it's honestly one of the most incredible things that we've done together as a couple um, just because, you know, we are building we it's like our baby, you know, we're building something together. Um, it's so fun to really yeah, just build something from scratch with your partner. And, um, and also, yeah, we just are, you know, spending so much time together and really cultivating our relationship on a deeper level. I mean, I remember when we were both working in tech in San Francisco and, you know, we would come home after work and I had no idea what he did all day. You know, he worked at Accenture in consulting. Like I didn't even know what consulting was. (laughs) And like he would come home and, you know, it's like, how was your day? Good. How was your day? But like, we didn't connect on anything. Um, He would tell me stuff going on at work and I could not, you know, care less. I didn't even know who he worked with. And so now it's a lot more fun because like we're so intertwined. Um, you know, work and, and play, so to speak. So yeah, it's definitely not for everyone. Um, that's for sure. I think you have to really take a hard look at your own relationship. But um, for us, you know, it really works. And I just really couldn't imagine doing it alone without him or, you know, just having it any other way. Yeah, I I think that um, Elise, um, you're talking about like yelling matches. Um, I think that in our business marriage, Elise has, and in our life marriage, Elise has yelled at me in total, I think one time that I can actually remember her raising her voice. Um, I can't say the same for me, but that's just different personalities. (laughs) When Jamie and I decided to go into business together, you know, we sat down and did all of the like business planning and like started working on all those early formation documents. But part of that process for us was also having sort of a planning for our relationship and how we would prioritize business or relationship if it came to the point where we were in a real yelling match at each other or at a, you know, a breakup or serious conflict point. And I'm wondering what those conversations looked like for you. Like, did you guys include that sort of relationship planning as part of your business launching process? Yeah, definitely. Um, That's a really interesting question. I mean, for us, it's always been, you know, from day one, we had an agreement that our relationship would always come first. And I know it's a lot easier to say that when your business is just an idea and it's not something Mm -hmm. that's actually, you know, this living, breathing entity. But um, I mean, even to this day, you know, we have check-ins, like weekly check-ins on our calendar, which some people are like, that's the least sexy thing. But for us, like if it's not on the calendar, like it just doesn't happen. And so we, you know, 7 p.m. every Sunday we check in and we either go for a walk or we have dinner together and like 
really checking in on a relationship level, not like a work check-in. And it's like, how are you feeling? How are you feeling about us? Um, You know, what are some things we can do this week, whether it's just set aside like a dinner, you know, date night or something. Um, And just really keeping our our relationship at the forefront. Because I think it's so easy to let the day-to-day sort of take over. And then all of a sudden, you know, a few years down the road, you're just roommates. Um, And so, yeah, I think like we never had, I mean, obviously, you know, there's the business paperwork and, and all of that, but I think just something that was important to us was, yeah, just prioritizing that relationship. Um, and something else that's really helped is we actually have a third co-founder, um, Ari, who, you know, Eric and him grew up going to summer camp together. They're really close. And he actually really serves as, you know, this sort of awesome mediator, so to speak, like in this dynamic. So it's not just, you know, Eric and I working together. I think having Ari sort of in the mix really helps um, keep things a little more professional, if that makes sense. So, you know, when we're at the office, um, Eric and I act like, you know, we're coworkers. We're not like (laughs) holding hands or I don't know, PDA or anything like that. And so I think having Ari there like really does help sort of keep it more of a business dynamic. Um, But yeah, I hope that answered your question. Yeah, absolutely. I'm just always curious what other family or I'm calling him your family, but other relationship first business partners, how they go about it. I was curious about the same thing because I do think that there's a lot of challenge in that and sort of navigating like the separation um, between, you know, relationship on a personal level and relationship on a business level. And sometimes the lines are just so blurry and often it's hard to articulate and it's hard not to like talk about work when you're together for personal reasons. But yeah, I think it it can be done. And I think that you talked a lot about sort of your different um, personalities and sort of how you guys each contribute and complement one another. And I think that's so similar to um, myself and Elise. We work together because we are different and we really do complement each other and we're able to communicate, I think, in an effective way. And shouting matches has never been uh, the way that we communicate. And I think I think that's important. I mean, there's room for passion, of course, but I think it's really in the end, like how well you can communicate and and talk to one another. You mentioned your office. Tell us what's it like. Where do you work? Due to like the allergen free nature of our product, um, and I guess I didn't really explain granola butter super well. Um, but so for anyone listening that doesn't know what it is, it's basically the texture of a nut butter. But as I mentioned, it's nut free um, and it's actually oat based, so um, has sort of that you know familiar sort of warm cinnamon taste of granola. Um, But since we are top 14 allergen free, it's, you know, we decided early on to keep things in house for as long as possible production wise. Um, So we actually have a nut free facility down um, about five minutes south of downtown San Diego um, in a neighborhood called Barrio Logan, which is super colorful. It's, you know, definitely up and coming, um, really awesome Mexican American population. That's super strong. Um, and so we have been there for the past year. Um, and like I said, I mean, we make everything start to finish. It's a pretty in-depth process. Um, you know, we make the granola from scratch. Um, we blend it up into a butter. We label everything, jar everything. You know, we do all our own fulfillment. So we ship out all of our online orders. Um, and e-commerce is about 50% of our business. So split between our, our website and Amazon. Um, and then we also have our office space there too. So we have a couple offices. One is dedicated just to content creation. So 
my podcast um, episodes I record there. I sort of like, you know, hacked it together to make it soundproof um, with some stuff I found on Craigslist. And um, we do a lot of our, you know, photo shoots and, and Instagram social media content there. Um, and then just, you know, our regular office where we do um, business things and we have, you know, our computers there and everything. And I think it's really helpful for us, you know, being a small team um, just because we are bootstrapped. And so we've done things since day one, just very, very scrappy and very lean. Um, and so that's sort of why, you know, we've been able to bootstrap this for so long. And so, um, yeah, just raising this next round of funding, it's been pretty eye opening, you know, seeing some of these companies in the space that are, you know, even younger than us, but they sort of went more the, you know, capital intensive route where they, you know, raise money pre-launch and they're, you know, doing all these cool pop-ups and these fancy things. And like, I think it's very, it's very attractive to me. Like I get kind of jealous in a weird way sometimes where I'm like, oh, I wish we had done, gone that route. But then also there's so many ways to grow a business. And I just think it's been actually a great learning lesson for us to go sort of more the bootstrap scrappy way. Um, just because we've kind of, you know, figured out, we become like, you know, Jackson Janes of all trades and just figured out how to make things work on a really um, small budget. So yeah, the office is awesome. I think it's been my source of really sanity during this whole pandemic, you know, just having somewhere to, um, you know, go to that's outside of the house. I feel very lucky to, um, to be able to go there and, um, you know, cause we're still considered an essential business making food, but um, yeah, as I mentioned, I think before we were recording, we're looking for a new facility right now. And so there's sort of this dilemma, you know, within um, sort of our stage of business in the food industry, just because a lot of food companies will outsource to a co-packer or a co-manufacturer. Um, and, you know, historically, we haven't been able to find anyone, as I mentioned, who's allergen-free, um, just because a lot of the blending, you know, machinery that we use is typically done in a nut butter co-packing facility. Um, and so we were super excited a couple weeks ago, we um, talked to someone who may be able to make the product for us. And they used to own cookie butter out in Germany. And so they really know sort of the space. Um, but that's super exciting. So I feel like we're at this sort of weird crossroads right now where it's like, do we keep things in house? Do we, you know, go to a co-packer? Um, and we're sort of just navigating that. But yeah, that's a little bit about our small little office in San Diego. Um, all great challenges to have. It sounds like you guys are growing and sort of figuring out, you know, where that growth takes you next. And that's always an exciting um, challenge to have. Um, so congratulations on that. <laughs> um, curious, um, how big is your team? Yeah, we have, um, so the three co-founders, as I mentioned, me, Eric, and Ari, and then we have um, five employees who full-time help us with um, fulfillment, so shipping out our online orders, um, and then who work in the kitchen helping us make the product. But um, we're actually looking to hire a couple more um, just because, you know, with COVID, things have obviously, um, you know, online sales are, more people are shopping online. And so, um, yeah, it's been just kind of keeping up with that demand and then, um, you know, also helping get free up some of my time. I think um, just because I'm always, you know, helping out with shipping or, you know, sometimes even in the kitchen with large orders. And so it's kind of taking my, my time um, away from that and more towards just growing the business. Gotcha. 
Um, and what is your role in the in the business? Like, what? How do you define that? I'm a lot more um, like creative and um, sort of big picture, um, yeah, like visionary type. And so I really love getting involved with like brainstorming and, you know, long-term planning and stuff like that. Um, While Eric is a lot more comfortable sort of in the, in the details. Um, So I am, you know, I'm our sales team. So I'm like the only person um, doing our sales right now, getting into new accounts and new markets. Um, And then obviously I love social media. I live and breathe Instagram, I feel like. Um, So I run our social channels. Um, obviously the podcast as well. And then just, you know, any sort of branding, influencer marketing, um, digital ads. We like just started sort of experimenting with some Facebook and Instagram ads. We're doing like super low budget, probably a hundred bucks a day. Um, but we've seen some really exciting sort of promising, um, return there. And then, yeah, Eric is a lot more sort of, um, finance, you know, technical, um, he weirdly has like a really great design eye. So he designed our labels, um, on just illustrator and kind of taught himself that. And then Ari is like our culinary wizard. So he was a Michelin star, um, worked at Michelin star restaurants in fine dining. And so he was the one that really created, you know, our recipe of what it is today. Um, and he leads the kitchen and operations and R and D. Very cool. Um, interesting. Cause I, my next question before you even said that you like live in Instagram, I, I listened to your podcast, uh, queen cast. And again, we'll put it in the show notes for you guys. Um, and you spend quite a bit of time on your podcast talking about your job, um, as an influencer. So I've been kind of curious about how you divide your time between Allie, the influencer and mm-hmm. Allie, the founder of queen co. Um, or do you view that as one in the same? Yeah. So it's been, it's been wild, just that transition. Um, so I started my Instagram, my personal Instagram account really as a way to document my eating disorder recovery. Um, and it was just such a really supportive, you know, beautiful community online that I found of other, you know, men and women who were going through the same thing. Um, and it really also served as a way for me to play with my food again. I felt like for so long, I was so rigid and strict within these, you know, confines of these rules that I had created for myself, these sort of fake uh, food rules. And so, you know, being able to create these sort of drippy over the top type recipes that I was, you know, known for when I first started my account, it really forced me to get back in the kitchen and be creative, almost like an art, an art medium. Um, so that's really where it all started. And then, you know, slowly as my account began to grow, um, I definitely, you know, got some interest from a few brands. And I really didn't start my Instagram, you know, to become an influencer. I hate that term. I think um, it's just like, I don't know, makes my skin crawl. But I understand that's like, I guess, the industry standard for the term. Um, but I know a lot of people now see the money in the space. And so I think a lot more people are sort of hopping in and trying to start accounts. But, um, you know, I really just wanted to find a community online and um, be creative with food again. So as my account started to grow, you know, I started getting um, hit up by a couple brands. And at first it was just sending free product. And I was like totally stoked on that. I was like, okay, this is so cool getting sent free product. Um, And then slowly over time, you know, a few brands started to offer to pay me to do certain posts and some sponsored um, campaigns. And actually it, you know, has morphed into being my, you know, only source of income, which it is today. Um, I don't have a manager or anything, you know, 
a lot of my friends do. And um, there's, you know, influencer agencies now that you can basically pay a percentage and they'll get you, you know, different deals or different brands that you can work with. Um, I actually manage all of my own deals and and negotiate those, but it's been a really awesome sort of, um, you know, stream of income as I'm starting this company, just because, you know, it's expensive to start a brand. And I understand it's a privilege to be able to bootstrap as long as we have, um, you know, and Eric and I didn't start with a ton of, of cash. You know, I come from, you know, upper middle class, but my parents were by no means rolling in the dough. And we really started this company just with our you know, few years of savings um, from working in tech for a couple years. So um, I definitely wasn't going to last, you know, forever um, without really, you know, having some sort of different source of income. So um, it's been interesting. I think it definitely, there are times where, you know, it's not consistent, which definitely isn't for everyone. I mean, I've talked about on my podcast sort of the behind the scenes that not a lot of people know about, you know, it's not just like snapping a pick and then you get, you know, paid out that same day. Um, a lot of the terms are net 90. So I don't get paid for almost three months after, you know, posting content. A lot of times brands are really difficult to work with. Um, you know, it's reshooting content. It's making sure that you're abiding by their, you know, very particular guidelines and captions and all of that. And it's it's a fine line, you know, obviously between, you know, sharing your voice and your opinions, but also sort of making sure that the ROI is there for, for the brand that you're working with as well. So, I mean, it's amazing. Like I, I think it's such a fun job and I'm so grateful to obviously have the opportunity, but um, yeah, I do like to share on my podcast, just sort of things that people wouldn't think of. Cause I think as a consumer of social media, you know, you just see these sort of pretty pictures and you see hashtag ad or sponsored and you're just like, wow, that seems like the best job ever. And you know, with any job, there's definitely some things that are less fun, but, um, yeah, overall it's been a really cool way to sort of, you know, supplement my income while I'm not paying myself, you know, starting my business. Yeah, we understand the the behind the scenes side of the yeah. influencer industry. Super interesting to hear from your perspective because we we operated, we still operate as an influencer marketing agency in a lot of respects and have kind of seen the industry grow and evolve over the last decade into the current beast that it is. Um so we we hear you on like <laughs> it's both fun and it can be, you know, sort of really challenging and a lot more work than a lot of people give it credit for. I'm curious. I noticed on your Instagram, you shared that you had paid yourself for the first time from Queen. And yes. that's super exciting. Congratulations. That's like a huge champagne moment. Can you talk more about what, what it was like to pay yourself when you decided the time was right? Like, how did that, how did that happen? Totally. Yeah. I mean, that was a really wild moment. Um, I think, and that's something that I also am very passionate about sharing on social media is just and sometimes I think maybe even I need to be a little more positive about it. <laughs> but like I'm very open about the, you know, entrepreneurial journey not being as glamorous as everyone says it is on Instagram. Just because I started my company, I don't know, I was very under the impression that it was like you're an entrepreneur, all of a sudden you have a Ferrari and like <laughs> all these nice things. And just from what I saw on social media, you know, that's sort of the vibe that um, people were giving off. And it's super challenging and it's, you know, not lucrative, um, you know, definitely not at the beginning. Um, and there's a lot of, a lot of things that you need to, 
to really be prepared for, I think, if you're going to start your own company. Um, and as I mentioned before, you know, it is such a privilege to be able to bootstrap. I think that's definitely not the case with everyone. I mean, if you're, you know, if you have kids and you're working multiple jobs, you know, just to put food on the table, I feel like it's definitely a lot harder to start a company in that situation. Um, luckily, there are, you know, lots of alternative sort of funding options that I think are starting to pop up, um, especially for women and minorities. But um, yeah, I mean, that was a really wild moment. I think the, you know, what really helped was, um, you know, we got a couple loans because of COVID, um, you know, small business loans and stuff like that. And so, you know, had we not gotten those, I don't know if we were, if I would have been able to pay myself that this early. Um, and, but it definitely was something that, you know, helped just sort of boost, um, I don't know, just sort of like, I'm not the type that's really money, um, hungry. I definitely am competitive with myself and I like to succeed, but I was, I've never been in it for the money, but that said, it definitely did just feel sort of like the champagne moment where I was like, okay, like I'm building something that's not just, you know, sucking money <laughs> like left and right. And it's not this unsustainable business model. Um, as I mentioned, I mean like growing quickly, but also sustainably has always been um, a goal for us. And so, um, yeah, it was really fun. And it was just something that I wanted to share, not to really be like, you know, look at me, like we're so successful (laughs) because I know we're not and we're super young. Um, But it was more so just to show how long it actually took me to pay myself. Um, And every business is different, but my priority was always reinvesting, you know, any money that we made back into the business. Um, And so just showing people like, I guess, more of the reality of, you know, it took us over two years um, after starting it to finally pay ourselves. But yeah, it was a really cool moment. And it was something that, um, yeah, that feeling is just sort of like, I don't know, you sort of hang on to those feelings because they're few and far between. (laughs) Yes, I hear you. You got to like really savor those wins (laughs) and then visit them when you're having one of those hard days. We totally understand all of those things. My last real question just kind of a fun question what's the weirdest thing you've ever had to do because of your business oh man that is a good question let's see it's not so much uh, I mean it's kind of weird but I remember like the craziest story that that I have or that has happened was um the and this is sort of I think when being too frugal like goes wrong like there's only a fine line between like being frugal and just knowing when to spend money um so we press juicery was like our first big account we launched with them january of 2019 and i remember our first opening order with them they placed um around thanksgiving time of 2018 and we were you know still working out of a commissary kitchen which is like a shared commercial kitchen space. Um, it was still pay by the hour. Like we were very small and it was just Eric, Ari and I, and we were making all of our product in Vitamix blenders. They were, they were like the commercial grade or whatever, but they were still blender size, which is wild. Like thinking about just with knowing the, you know, machinery that we use now, but, um, And it was very labor intensive. It was really hard work. You know, you're constantly stirring and scraping down the sides and it's hot in there. I remember it was, you know, there was no ventilation in that kitchen and 
yada, yada. So we get this huge order for Pressed. And around the same time, Eric had ordered this machine that was supposedly, you know, going to 10X our production capability, automate things. And he ordered it from um, someone on eBay. And it was like a really great deal. And this guy supposedly had said, you know, it's never been used, perfect condition. We looked at the photos, like everything looked really great. Um, and it came and basically what had happened was he left it in really like, yes, it was never used, but it was left in sort of damp, um, terrible conditions. And so it had actually, the lid had rusted closed. Um, yeah. So it arrives and we basically only gave ourselves, you know, I think it was like a week or something to maybe even, yeah, less than that to crank out this order because Eric had kind of projected, you know, with this new machine, we'd be able to get it done in a couple days. And Eric and I had booked our first vacation since starting the company. Um, we were all going, his family and my family down to Puerto Vallarta for Thanksgiving. We were super excited and we were kind of like, it was this last hurrah and like this last push before we really were just could relax with like a pina colada (laughs) on the beach. And this machine comes and it, it doesn't, we can't even open it. We were like, fuck, like, I don't know what we're going to do. Like, how are we going to finish? You know, and it's our first order with pressed. We like want to make a really good impression, all this stuff. So we end up like pulling almost all nighters for the next, you know, until we leave for Puerto Vallarta. I think we did have to push our trip a couple days because we needed more time. But I distinctly remember Thanksgiving night. My poor mom was expecting, you know, my brother and I there for a Thanksgiving dinner. And we had like our whole family over. And here I am like, sweating in the kitchen. She's probably like, what are you doing? Like, you know, you, you went to Berkeley for four years for this, like, what are you doing? And he ended up bringing us, you know, um, Thanksgiving dinner, like all of us to the kitchen. And they actually helped us finish the palette and everything. And we were in there till like 3am, like just so delirious. And I remember we got it done just like by, you know, the skin of our teeth. It was like the craziest couple days. Um, but that was like such a learning lesson for us just to be like, okay, maybe don't order expensive, you know, important machinery on eBay. <laughs> um, and we ended up getting our money back. Yeah. We like got a refund, got our money back, but it was just like the principle of, I guess, putting all of our eggs in one basket with that machine. Um, but that was definitely the wildest Thanksgiving I've ever had. Um, <laughs> for sure. Ooh, we've been there um, more than enough times um, with kicking ourselves in our own butts by trying to cut corners or be more frugal and realizing we should have just spent the damn money. Um, we actually dedicated yeah. pretty much a whole episode talking about all of those silly things that we did um, that we wish that we hadn't because um, it really wouldn't have saved us, you know, would have saved us like time just to spend the money, um, which, you know, is very, very valuable when you're an entrepreneur. Um, and especially when you're trying to go on vacation. Um, well, Allie, that was so lovely. It's been so nice to catch up with you. And um, I know people will love hearing your story. Um, we love talking to other entrepreneurs. And I, I think it's so relatable and so refreshing because we all experience a lot of the same challenges and a lot of the same champagne victories, as Elise said. Um, and so, yeah, we're just super excited that you were on. And um, I really look forward to um, dousing myself in granola butter. I I have dreams of swimming in a jar. <laughs> oh my gosh. Thank you guys so much for having me. Um, yeah, it means the world. And I just think what you guys are doing is amazing. And anyone who's listening, you know, who's wanting to start their own thing, like, I guess my only advice would just be 
go for it and like launch before you're ready because <laughs> I don't know. I still I still don't feel ready. <laughs> like I'm just learning so much every day. So um, yeah, thank you for having me. This is so fun. Yeah. And everybody, if you're not already following Allie, um, please find her on Instagram. She's at Avo Queen um, and Granola Butter or at Queen and Co. And her podcast is at QueenCast. Um, so definitely go follow. We'll put the links, of course, in the show notes. And yeah, and everybody get on some granola butter and go ahead and overwhelm their online orders. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Shiny Objects. If you enjoyed it and want to hear more, we'd appreciate you subscribing and reviewing us on your podcast app of choice. We'd also love to hear what you're going through. Send a 30-second audio clip to hi at shinyobjects.live and we may feature you on a future podcast. Thanks for listening and come back soon.